Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Catalyst. My name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here. And uh, one of my favorite things about being a pastor is the weird questions you get to answer about the devil. You just never know what people are going to say. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, I was actually speaking at a conference for senior pastors. And that, so I was, like the, I was like the youth guy kind of telling them what youth ministers thought about stuff. And I was encouraging them uh, to just kind of trust their youth ministers. And so I, I had already met with their youth pastors and they had said, you know, we, we try to do fun and exciting things like bring in a rock band. And when they said rock band, they meant like a worship band, kind of like what we have here at Catalyst. And uh, and, and then the, the senior pastors just shut it down. They say, you can't bring a rock band in here or whatever. So I was, I was saying things like, hey, look, if they want to bring in a rock band, but let them bring in a rock band. Like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen, you know? And so after my talk, we did this question and answer. As one pastor stood up in the back, he was like, I got a question, guy. Why should we bring rock bands into our church when rock music summons demons? Now, I went to... Christian youth group in the 1990s. So this idea that rock music was satanic was not a surprise to me. I had heard this multiple times because I was a bit of a metalhead back then. And, uh, and so I had, I had heard that, you know, they did backmasking to hide satanic songs. And if you spun uh, a Kansas record backwards, that instead of Wayward Son, you would hear something like Hail Lord Satan or something like that, right? Like I'd, I'd heard all this. Uh, and and uh, so I was, able, I was able to respond and sort of engage this guy in what ended up being an okay conversation. But I, it's so funny to me uh, that this is the kind of thing that, that Christians think about Satan. Uh, I, I've encountered again and again and again this, this belief that, uh, that Satan is, is behind all kinds of these, these evil things like you know, heavy metal music and all of that. And it's because we have this story about the devil that we tell each other. And most of us have probably heard it, even if you're not really like a churchy church person, you've probably encountered this, like that show Lucifer on Fox, it even uses it. So I'm assuming you've heard some version of this story, that Satan is called Lucifer and that he was God's top angel. A lot of people say he was like the number two in command of heaven. Some people say he was a worship leader, which is why he likes heavy metal so much, I guess. Um, but at some point before creation, like before the dawn of history, he decided that he could do a better job of ruling heaven than God. And so he mounted this war on God's throne in heaven and was defeated and was cast down into hell. And that's where all, of, that's where all the demons come from and that he now lives in hell. as like the Lord of, of hell and wages war on God. And again, I guess tries to get us all hooked on uh, sweet guitar licks and double kick drum. Um, <laughs> There's some version of that I'm, I'm assuming that you are familiar with, right? The most interesting thing about it probably is that nearly none of it is actually true. Uh, when you actually go through the scriptures and look at what the Bible actually says about Satan, actually says about the devil, a very different story emerges. Uh, one that is just as important, I think just as essential for us to understand, but one that, that surprisingly has very little to do with the Rolling Stones and ACDC and all of that. And it has much more to do with how we treat each other and how we see ourselves. And so today, we're going to be talking about the devil. We're going to look at what the Bible actually says about him, and we're going to look at his mission in the world, because his mission in the world is not to convince us all to buy vinyl records to play backwards. His mission in the world is to get us to believe the lie that we 
are not worthy of God's love and God's grace, and that other people in the world around us are not worthy of God's love and God's grace. If Satan can convince us of those things, then Satan has won the war that he's fighting. And the best thing that we as Christians can do is, do is to resist that lie and to cling to the truth that every person is created by God, every person is loved by God, and every person therefore deserves our love and respect and our welcome. So we're going to begin this morning uh, by celebrating about that. And if you're a guest, I just want to say thank you for being with us today. Uh, for the next hour or so that we're together, uh, all that we ask of you is that you be open to hearing from God, because we believe that God has welcomed us all here, that God wants to speak to us, and that if we will be open, we will hear the truth of God. And so we're going to begin together by celebrating this God this morning, whose love is so overwhelming and powerful that it, it conquers even every lie that the devil wants to tell us. So please stand and sing with us. This is the final week of our series, Empathy for the Devil. And throughout this series, we have been looking at famous, infamous, I guess, technically, infamous villains in the Bible, like Cain and Delilah and Jezebel and Judas. And we've been asking, uh, what happened? You know, how did they get to the place where they were? We've been trying to practice empathy, not sympathy, all apologies to the Rolling Stones, uh, but we've been practicing empathy, trying to put ourselves in their shoes, to understand their perspective, not to apologize for what they did, not to condone what they did, but to understand to see if we can figure out what, why they did what they did, and, and then see maybe some seeds of the same sins reflected in our own lives. Uh, ultimately, this exercise in empathy, particularly with these villains of Scripture, has been about seeing uh, maybe some parts of ourselves that we're uncomfortable admitting. But once we do that, we can repent of those things, we can turn to God and find life. And so, you know, we couldn't do a series called Empathy for the Devil without talking about the devil. And so we saved, I guess, the best for last. This, is, this week we're talking about Satan. And so we're going to begin in Revelation chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn over there with me or click over there if you have a Bible on one of your devices. Uh, if you grab one of the free Bibles out of the back, Revelation 12 can be found on page 754. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, please keep that one. Consider it a gift from us. As you're turning to Revelation 12, uh, this, is, this is like pretty much the only part of the, the Satan story that we all probably grew up hearing that is actually in the Bible. This is the war in heaven when Satan goes to war against God and gets kicked out of heaven. Um, but uh, you'll see that it actually has a very different timeline than what we're used to. I think uh, those of us who have kind of heard that story assume that it happened sometime before the dawn of human history, like before creation. Or it's, it's unclear. It's just, you know, a long time ago. Uh, but we'll see that actually the, the story of the war in heaven in Revelation 12 has a very specific timeline. It happens at a very specific point in human history, and that tells us a lot about who Satan is and why that matters to us. So we're going to read this together, and I will warn you, uh, the book of Revelation is a confusing, scary book. A lot of people just don't ever even, they treat it like an appendix and never get back to that part of the Bible because they just don't want to mess with it, right? And, and this, we could spend probably weeks just in these few verses. We're not going to, don't worry, okay? Uh, just for our purposes this morning, we're going to work through enough of the symbolic language to kind of have a handle on what's going on, and we're going to focus mainly on the timeline. We're going to ask when, when is this located in history, um, and we're going to sort of, I apologize for those of you who are Bible nerds who want to go real deep on this. We're not today. Um, we're just going to, we're, we're, we're going to investigate the parts of it that are necessary for us to kind of get a handle on who, who Satan is. So let's begin in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. John the Revelator says, Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. 
I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, uh, the woman being clothed with twelve stars, if you do work in Revelation, you know that the number twelve is symbolic of God's people. The nation of Israel had twelve tribes, and so uh, this woman uh, having a crown of twelve stars and being pregnant is is a symbol of God's people who were going to birth the Messiah, God's promised champion. And of course, uh, because John is a believer, he's a follower of Jesus, this is also sort of a symbol of Mary, the mother of Jesus who gave birth to the Messiah. And that's the nice thing about symbols is you can kind of stack a bunch of different meanings in there and it, it holds them all, right? And so John says uh, when he witnesses this, you know, this, this cosmic woman who's about to give birth to a child that we are sort of assuming is going to be Jesus, the Christ child, the Messiah of Israel, Uh, John says, then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. So we have a dragon. We're going to find out who it is in a minute. You can probably guess, but he will actually tell us here. John says, she gave birth to a son who was to rule all the nations with an iron rod. That phrase, rule all the nations with an iron rod, is a quote from a messianic psalm that was read whenever a new king would ascend to the throne of Israel. And so this is John telling us, in case we were still confused, yes, this child is Jesus. Right? Jesus was born, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And so immediately the child is born, and then he's snatched up to God. So this is the interesting thing. If, if we know that the child is Jesus, and we know that the child is snatched up to God, that is Jesus' ascension, which means that John has compressed Jesus' entire earthly ministry from his, the incarnation at his birth to his ascension after his crucifixion and resurrection into like half of a verse, which is, you know, pretty impressive, right? He just gets it all right in there, and he says Jesus was born, and then all the things that uh, John's Christian readers would know happened to Jesus, his life, his teachings, his miracles, his uh, arrest, death, resurrection, all of the ascension is all right there. Okay, and then here's the part that we're going to have to skip over. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Super cool stuff going on there. We don't have time for it this morning. Uh, then there was a war in heaven. Oh, hey, here it is, right? There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. The great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, probably not a surprise, right? You guessed that. Uh, The one who's deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. Okay, there's our war in heaven. Satan goes to war against God and his angels, and Satan is cast out of heaven. That's the part of that. That sounds familiar. Everyone's like, right? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I've heard before. The interesting part, though, is when John locates this war in history. It's not before the beginning of all things. It's not like on day two of creation or something like that. It's after Jesus ascended to heaven. That is strange. That is not what we are all used to hearing. I grew up in church, right? And, and, and I never heard that before. I always heard this, that happened before the beginning of time and Satan has spent all of human history trying to, you know, trick people into following him with, I get, you know, again, heavy metal and whatever the ancient Israelite equivalent of heavy metal was. I guess harps or something, right? Um, but John says this happened after Jesus ascended to heaven. What does he mean by that? How could that be? Well, uh, actually, the next few verses help us out a little bit. Uh, The next few verses is a song that erupts in heaven, because Satan has been cast out of heaven and everyone throws a party, right? Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, 
At last, what we've been waiting for, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, these have come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. That's going to be important. We're going to come back to that, this accuser being thrown down. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice, but terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. So once Satan has been thrown out of heaven, it's time to party, and then they're like, oh, but sorry about everybody on the earth, because, you know, now the devil's down there. That part, if you were an ancient Jewish reader of this story, if you heard someone uh, reading this, this vision and you heard that bit, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accused them before the Lord day and night, your ears would have perked up. Because in the Old Testament, there's this figure in the heavenly courts that appears in three different places in the Old Testament called the accuser. And actually in Hebrew, the word accuser is Satan. That's what the word Satan means. It's a Hebrew word that means accuser. And the accuser, as far as we can tell, essentially functioned like a prosecuting attorney. He was an agent of God's divine court, and his job was to record the sin of humanity and bring it before God and then accuse people, present, present, present the state's case against the person who had sinned. Right? Say, so here's all the evidence we have collected. Right? Again, just, just like what a prosecuting attorney does today. Right? That was the accuser's role. And we see that, so I'm going to show you, there's, like I said, there's three places. We don't have time to go through all of them today. But I want to show you the one in Zechariah. This is a really clear picture of how this worked in, in the ancient Israelite court. So Zechariah has a, a vision. This is a vision, by the way, of Israel's sin and redemption. And Israel is embodied in the person of the high priest, Yeshua. Okay? So it says, uh, Zechariah has this vision. He says, the angel showed me Yeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Yeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. So this is like law and order, ancient Near East edition. Okay, that's what's happening here. We have, a, we have the Joshua, the Yeshua, the high priest of Israel, who's been brought before the throne of God, to be condemned as guilty before the king. And if you read, you can later, you can go and read the rest of the vision. He actually, his robes are filthy. Like he is a sinner. He is an unquestionable. And the accuser is accused. He's like, look, here's all this stuff. I mean, you just look at him, you see yourself. And what God does here is extend mercy. God forgives him. Actually, he's, he's actually given new garments, clean garments, Right? So it's this, it's this beautiful picture of God forgiving his people is ultimately what this is about. But the important part to hold on to here is that accusing part where Satan is playing this very clear role. He is part of God's heavenly court. He is accusing. He is playing, he, again, he's the district attorney, right? God's legal system doesn't function without the accuser. Does that make sense? Okay. Because something interesting happens then. Jesus dies takes the sin of humanity on himself, and then is raised from the dead. And so here's how Paul describes that in Romans chapter 8, what happened. Because, because when Jesus dies and is raised from the dead, the, the very fabric of the universe changes. The nature of reality is fundamentally different on the other side of the cross. And here's, what, here's how Paul describes it. 
He's, he's reflecting on what it means to say that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. And he says, now, on the other side of the cross, after Jesus has, been, has died and been raised from the dead, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Paul says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, no one can bring condemnation against you anymore. In other words, the accuser has no role, which is exactly what the song said in Revelation, right? Now the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down. He accused them before the Lord day and night, but now he has been cast to the earth. Satan was the accuser, and then Jesus died and was raised from the dead, and so now there's no need for an accuser anymore, and so Satan goes to war and of course is defeated, and of course is thrown down to the earth. Now, take a deep breath, because I know that's very different from what you heard, or, you know, if you're watching Lucifer on Fox, right, still very different from that. And frankly, it seems a little bit petty. I mean, like, Satan's out of it. He gets laid off, so he, like, goes to war with the almighty creator of heaven and earth. I think it seems ill-advised. But again, try to practice a little bit of empathy, right? As the accuser, it was Satan's job to record and prosecute every sin that humans committed. Every lie, every betrayal, every act of violence, every assault, every abuse, every act of genocide, Satan had to bear witness to them all to bring them before God. How could he not hate us? How could he not despise us? As again and again and again, he watched us spit on, trample on God's good and perfect and holy gifts. And then God announces a new plan. God says, you know, they're having a hard time getting this whole like being a holy people thing. So I'm just going to go down there and show them myself. I'm going to become one of them and I'm going to walk among them. I'm going, to, I'm going to teach them and show them so that there's no longer any question about what it means to look like me, to live the way that I created them to live. And we kill him for it. We've spit and trampled on all of God's gifts and all of God's ways, and then when God comes among us, we spit and trample on and murder him. And then it turns out that that was the plan all along. That actually, this was the final step in the road to getting all of us worthless, pathetic, ungrateful sinners in heaven with God. Wouldn't you be mad? Wouldn't you feel this sort of like righteous indignation? Like, like if that's the plan, if you're just going to like forgive them all and bring them all in with us, like how can you call yourself good and holy? How can you say you're holy if you're bringing sinners inside? How can you call yourself good if you're going to forgive all of these atrocious sins? And so you might be mad enough to go to war with God to save heaven from God. 
And I know that sounds a little strange until we start thinking about some of the religious people that we know. And we realize that grace is scandalous. Particularly, there's, for some reason, the closer people get to God, the harder it is to remember that we don't deserve to be there. And there's this thing that happens among religious people that the closer we get to God and the holier we think that we are, the less we want, you know, riffraff, sinners, scum around. Jesus encountered this all the time. The people that Jesus fought with over and over and over were the most religious people, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, the people who represented God, who spoke for God, who knew the most about God. They were the ones that Jesus was constantly battling. They'd show up at a dinner party that he was at, and they were like, no respectable teacher of the law would be caught dead with these people. And yet there's Jesus having a merry old time with all these people that God wouldn't be with if God were here. The satanic impulse to judge, to condemn, to exclude, it's rooted in pride. We convince ourselves that we are worthy and they are not, right? That us is good, them is bad. And it's a lie. It's a lie. And that's, that's maybe the most interesting thing to me about what Revelation 12 does. We see uh, this shift in Revelation where it talks about Satan and the devil. Because in the Old Testament, the word devil doesn't ever show up, right? It's just the accuser. And the thing about the accuser is that he's honest, the things that the accuser says are true. They have to be or God's justice isn't just, right? If the accuser is manufacturing evidence and presenting false charges against us, one, it doesn't work with an all-knowing creator of the universe, but two, like the whole justice system falls apart, right? For justice to be just, it has to be grounded in truth. And so the things that the accuser says, the charges that he brings against us are true in the Old Testament. We are sinners that stand condemned before God, period, end of the story. But then, Jesus dies and is raised from the dead. And in that death, he takes our sin, our condemnation, our shame, and he swallows it up in his own death-defeating death. And in, in, in its place, he gives us life and freedom. He gives us right standing before God as gifts, undeserved, unmerited, but gifts nonetheless. And so now there's no place for an accuser anymore. He's thrown down to the earth and he becomes the devil, the liar. That what, what has changed is not what he's saying, right? We've still done all of those things. The difference is that we've been forgiven too. And that's the lie that Satan wants to convince us of that we don't deserve God's love, that we don't deserve God's grace, that we are fundamentally unworthy, unlovable scum that have no business in God's presence, that there's no way God could love us, that we are hopeless and lost, and that everyone else is too. If Satan can convince me that God could never love me, then I'm separated from God. It's a lie, but it can separate me from God. 
if Satan can convince me that someone else is unworthy of God's love, right? Then little brick by lying brick, he builds a nice pedestal for me to climb up on so I can look down on the world around me with judgment and condemnation and feel so superior and smug as though I earned my position before God somehow, right? As though I somehow deserve more grace and more love than the world around me. And that's equally a lie. This is how Satan deceives us. Christians who refuse to extend grace to the world around them are truly satanic. And Satan cares a lot less about heavy metal music than he does how we treat people around us. He's not concerned so much with what happens when a Kansas record gets played backwards as he has with what comes out of your mouth when you open it. You know, frontwards. Satan's goal is to deceive us. That's, all, that's, that's literally all he can do at this point. He has been defeated. He has been cast out of heaven. He has no other, think about that. Satan has no other power than to lie to us. That's all Satan can do is lie, deceive, trick us. And that's why scripture calls us again and again to resist the lies of the devil, to resist them, to cling to the truth of God. So many of us are convinced that we have done something or are in some way fundamentally unworthy of God's love that is a lie from the pits of hell. Not because we have done something to make ourselves worthy of God's love, but because God has declared that God loves us. And that's the end of the story. I think Others of us have convinced ourselves that someone else is outside of God's love, outside of God's mercy, that someone else doesn't deserve God's grace. And that's a lie, too, straight from the pits of hell. The the good news, the truth of the good news of Jesus is that God has created and loves every single human person. That is the first thing that is true about every person you see, including the one that you see in the mirror. So before we go any further today, I want us to approach the communion table. Because when we approach the communion table together, we share in the meal that Jesus shared with his followers the night before he was killed, when he filled a table with a bunch of people who didn't deserve to be there. Betrayers, cowards, Backstabbers. And to those people, Jesus offered bread, broken. He said, this is my body, take it and eat it. To those sinners, he offered a cup of wine and he said, this wine is, it's my blood, it's poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Take it and drink it. And so when we approach God's table, we do it as a way to resist the lies of the devil, to receive in a very tangible way affirmation that God loves us, that God created us, and that God calls us to be part of his family. We leave from the table as a beacon of that same truth and hope. We go into a world that is listening to the lies of the devil, and we go as a people who knows the truth that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And anyone that says any different is a satanic liar.
Now, you don't have to be a part of Catalyst to receive communion with us today if you are someone who is willing to resist the lies of the devil, someone who is willing to believe in God's love for you and God's love for the world, then you're welcome to come with us. Before we come to the table, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of examine. This is a prayer exercise uh, that invites you to reflect in a spirit of prayer with God about how you're responding to the good news today. It's four questions that ask you to, to reflect prayerfully and silently, or if you're here with someone that you want to talk about it with, that's fine. You can do that too. And after we've gone through those four questions, I'm going to pray for all of us, and then as you are ready, you're welcome to approach the table this morning. So here's the first question I want you to reflect on. Where in your life do you struggle to receive grace? Maybe that's from God, maybe that's from other people, but where do you struggle to receive grace, that that unmerited, undeserved favor from God or from another person? Now, where do you struggle to give grace? Is there a particular person or a particular group of people that it's just really hard for you to give them grace? How can you receive God's grace this week? What does it look like for you to receive that undeserved, unmerited favor from God this week? And finally, how can you show God's grace this week? What does it look like for you to extend the same grace that you have received? Let's pray together.
God, we have heard a surprising message of hope this morning in studying the person the scriptures call the accuser. Uh, we confess that too often we have believed the lies that the devil would tell us about ourselves, about other people. And you have shown us this morning that uh, those are, in fact, lies. Your truth has revealed the ways in which we have been uh, selfish with your grace or maybe even unable to receive it for ourselves. And so we approach your table this morning uh, to act out the good news that we have heard, that we have received from you completely unmerited and undeserved grace, love, welcome. We ask that these wafers and juice become a spiritual food, that they nourish us, that they enable us to resist the lies of the devil. For, for those of us who have difficulty extending grace to other people, we ask that they would transform our hearts and help us to love the way you love, to see others the way you see them. For those of us who have a hard time receiving grace even for ourselves, we ask that you would enable us to see ourselves with your eyes. You would teach us what it means to be worthy of love, not because of our own efforts, but because of your declaration of our worth. May we leave from this table as a people of your truth, able to resist the lies of the devil and be beacons of hope and light and truth in this world uh, that has too many false voices whispering in their ears. We offer these prayers when we approach your table this morning in the powerful and resurrected name of your son, Jesus. As you're going, our, our next series is going to be called Good Grief, and it's about how we respond to tragedy. Uh, so I, I think a lot of times, you know, people don't like talking about sad stuff because it makes you feel bad, uh, but we all, are, all of our lives at the personal and at the cultural level are filled with hard times. And so we're going to talk about hard times, and we're going to talk about how to, how, to, uh, how to be in them, how to experience them, how to speak into them. So whether you're in the midst of a difficult personal time right now, or you just love someone who is, this is going to be a series that's going to help us figure out how to navigate those times biblically and faithfully and in ways that bring hope and healing. And so we're really excited about it. It starts next week. Um, and as you're going this week, I just wanted to encourage you again, because we do have an enemy who wants to deceive us and convince us that uh, we are unworthy of love, that other people are unworthy of love. And one of my favorite things about Catalyst is that I knew this, this was a church uh, that, where this message would resonate with the people because uh, you do such a good job of welcoming everyone, of extending grace and extending love. And I just, I want to challenge you as you leave this week to know that you're going into a world that believes a lot of lies about, about themselves, about each other, so as you go, be a people of truth. Resist the lies of the devil. Cling to the truth that God has created every person and that God loves every person. And may your light shine and illuminate the lies that the devil tells that everyone who knows you might know the God who loves them too. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.